Hi folks, it's great to be with you again. My name's Paul Rogers, I'm a pastor, lead pastor at Beck, and it really is good to be with you. It's great to have you with us. May I extend my welcome to any visitors among us. Uh, it's been brilliant having Helen and the team uh, from the deaf community, a very precious part of our church. And uh, if you're watching this and uh, you are from the deaf community, can I extend my welcome? I would try to sign my name, uh, but I might forget some of the letters, but I can sign my name. Uh, but it's really good to have you with us. And we're going to come to God's word now. And we're looking at the book of Isaiah. And uh, we've called this series The Turning of the tide and it comes out of a prophetic sense that in this season when we see so much of significance going on in the world God is working behind the scenes doing a profound work to turn the tide for good I believe certainly in our nation and possibly throughout the world and in this series in Isaiah, we're coming now to uh, a number of pictures of Jesus Christ. Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ, but there are insights into who Jesus is in this book. And uh, next time around, Erica's going to speak on the suffering servant. And uh, we're also going to see uh, Christ as the anointed avenger. But today we're going to look at Christ as the coming king. And I want to start in Isaiah 9. These are verses normally read at Christmas time, uh, but it talks of Christ, again written 700 odd years before the time of Christ. And it says this, Isaiah says to Israel, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That's a comforting word for us in this day and age, isn't it? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I find it so interesting in that verse that you have the Trinity in this child to be born. You have the Counselor, the Holy Spirit. You have the Father. In the Son is the Father and you have the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And so we see here this child who is going to come and establish a government, a kingdom of shalom, peace. That word means harmony in society and it speaks of a kingdom of justice. We're crying out for justice in the world today and righteousness. It's not a kingdom of domination. This king comes as a child, not dominating in power, ruling by the jackboot. And certainly Jesus understood his ministry as bringing the kingdom. This is the gospel he proclaimed. In Matthew 4, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what happens when the kingdom comes? What happens when we see Jesus rule established on earth in our time? What happens when God turns up? I have in preparing this felt a bit like I'm playing my favourite Isaiah 
playlist. I do love the book of Isaiah, but there's just so many wonderful passages in there. And it, it has felt like I'm playing my favourite playlist from Isaiah. And uh, I'm in good company thinking that. A biblical commentator, Lagarde Smith, says this, in all of scripture, Isaiah's prophecies concerning Israel's restoration and the coming of the Messiah may be the most marvellous, wonderful, comforting, inspiring, optimistic and encouraging words ever read by a believer. And I hope some of the passages we look at today, you'll feel the same as that. And many of these passages, like I say, are very apt for our time. So let's crack on. What do we see here in the book of Isaiah in terms of the kingdom coming, God turning up? Well, firstly, we see this refreshing. We see that desert places come to life. One of my favourite pictures of the kingdom is uh, the Okavango Delta in Botswana. What happens there is uh, it's normally in the in the normal course of the year, a dry, arid place. And then at a particular time in the year, the rains start to fall hundreds of miles away. They gather, they create rivers and streams and they flood into the Okavango Delta and life comes. God is in the business of bringing life to desert places. And we see this repeated through Isaiah. In Isaiah 35, it says the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. And Isaiah understands that this life coming to the desert is by the Spirit. Isaiah 44. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, he says to Israel, and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. And this was Peter's understanding, refreshing of the kingdom. This was at least part of Peter's perspective on the kingdom. He preaches in Acts 3.19 and he says this to the gathered crowds in Jerusalem. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Can I ask you, do you feel thirsty this morning? Does it feel like your soul is weary and dry and barren? I think our experience in lockdown, at least some of the people I talk to, is that bit by bit, we've just become a bit weary and a bit tired. Well, Peter says, repent, align with God, come to him and times of refreshing, receive Jesus and times of refreshing will come to you. And you might not call yourself a Christian watching this this morning. You may be from the deaf community and you might not want to venture into a church. I know churches have been quite difficult place for many in the deaf community. But I want to say this to you. Receive Jesus. Repent. Line up with God's thinking. Refreshing will come to you. The second thing we see in Isaiah is this. There's renewal forgotten places find hope. Isaiah 40, we read it a few weeks back, says, 
Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. I'm forgotten. We're forgotten as a people. Here we are in captivity. Isaiah here is looking ahead to a time when Israel will be in captivity. And I'm sure many in Israel at that time felt forgotten. Yeah, but he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. They will be renewed. I love what Psalm 103 says. Praise the Lord who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I think there's something in the Christian life that outwardly we may be wasting away. Inwardly, we can be renewed. It's around the start of the football season. I'm on the uh, Beck Church football team uh, messenger group. And around this time every year, they talk about starting training. And part of me thinks, shall I give it one more season? Well, sadly, perhaps bodily, I'm going to struggle. But inwardly, my youth is being renewed like the eagles. As Christians, we should be getting younger inside day by day. But again, let me ask, do we feel forgotten? We see, don't we, many forgotten peoples and communities disadvantaged in society. Well, as the kingdom comes and as Christians work for the kingdom, those places should experience renewal in Christ. So there's renewal. Thirdly, there's a rebuilding. Broken places are restored. And this certainly applies to us individually. But again, just as I've been preparing, uh, I've just felt this is perhaps a word for us as the church, maybe our church. You see, Israel uh, is diminished. As I said, they were brought into captivity eventually after the time of Isaiah into Babylon. And I think there's something of that to the church. We've been diminished. Numerically, there has been decline. But then there's this promise in Isaiah 54. He says, sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labour. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. We've said as a church, we haven't seen as many people come to faith as we'd like. If you're watching this and again, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or maybe you're not sure you've got a relationship with Jesus. Our heart for you is you coming to a living relationship with Christ. The Bible calls it new birth. Well, we've not seen that happening as much. And I'm sure churches have done something to put people off. But when God turns up, people want to come to faith. They want to know him. They realize he's alive and he's bringing hope and life. And so God says to Israel, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. I do believe we're going to see people come to faith and you may be one of them. So there is a rebuilding promised here. And verse 
uh, 11 and 13 of Isaiah 54 goes on to say this, afflicted city lashed by storms and not comforted. I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels and your walls of precious stones. God promises to rebuild his people as precious jewels. He's not using cheap materials here. I had a prophetic word from someone this week. Actually, they also gave me a lot of these words that I'm using today, beginning with R-E. But they said this, that God at this time is producing jewels. Some of us are under pressure. Well, we know from um, geology that jewels are formed when the earth moves, when there's pressure in the rocks and jewels are produced. And maybe God's doing that in you at the moment to rebuild with precious stones. And so the church is far from ended. I think it has a wonderful future. It reminds me of Mark Twain. Mark Twain was visiting uh, the UK and uh, in America they heard that he was dead. And so they wrote his obituary. And Mark Twain sent a telegram to America saying this, the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. I think reports of the death of the Church of Jesus Christ have been exaggerated. A guy called Terry Virgo wrote a book, Does the Future Have a Church? And he answered, yes, and it's glorious. So if you're a Christian, take heart in that. Fourthly, got to crack on here. There's rejoicing throughout the book of Isaiah. Sad places become happy. Do you know, joy is a word that Isaiah likes. He uses it 19 times throughout the book. He's second only to the book of Psalms in using that word. And Isaiah 61, a passage that's close to our heart at Beck, he offers a transaction and it's a good deal. Isaiah says that the spirit of the Lord is upon the chosen one to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment and praise instead of a spirit of despair. There is a lot of grief around at present, and maybe you've experienced that. Perhaps a loved one has died, and maybe because of COVID. Well, I believe God, even in the midst of those situations, his heart is to comfort, to provide, and even for us, to know joy. So I just want to pray for you now. If you're experiencing despair and hopelessness, Lord, I pray, shatter the yoke of despondency and let ridiculous joy break out even in the midst of our situation. And then finally, We see in the book of Isaiah something very, very appropriate for our time. There's reconciliation. Divisions are healed. You may remember that the book of Isaiah and in fact all of Old Testament prophecy, um, there's varying perspectives. A a prophetic word is given by a prophet and, um, and the people at the time may have thought it was close, but actually it's a bit like a mountain range. You see a mountain and then you realize, oh, that mountain's a long way away. I thought it was close, but it's a long way away. And so with prophecies. In an Isaiah 2, 
Isaiah prophesies something. Actually, it uh, it may well have been for his time, but it's also for the church's age. It's called it's a, it's given for the last days, the church era. And Isaiah says this in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations. That word can mean peoples, all ethnicities will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train their train for war any more. And so we have a picture here of a humanity uniting in the kingdom, in Christ. That last verse there is actually um, has been taken by the United Nations and is on their building in New York. Well, it's only in Christ that fundamentally nations, peoples, ethnicities can be united. And this, of course, is where we're headed. I love this from Revelation 7, 9 and 10. It talks about the very end. And John says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so we must work for this now, this unity, this healing of divisions across peoples, races, ethnicities. Because if we don't do that, as we've seen in the world around us, there is much pain. And I just wanted to say something now in the time I have left about all that is going on around ethnicity and the Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter movement now. You can't say everything, but I do think we need to say something. I'm not qualified to say everything. And I certainly don't want to what we call virtue signal, where we say we're really passionate about these things and then do nothing. But we must respond both as individuals and local churches, to what we see going on in the world around us. And so just some initial thoughts from a local church pastor, as it were. If you like my ABC, albeit in reverse order. So I think firstly, let's begin some conversations. I was chatting with someone, a young man in our church this week, who said he, he saw what, he was, what was going on around him in terms of ethnicity and uh, and uh, the demonstrations. And he, he said he wanted to do something but didn't know what to do. And he ended up talking with an old friend from university um, who was a black woman who obviously had experience of being brought up uh, non-white in the UK. And he understood that actually just by talking, he gained insight he didn't have previously. You see, many of us have little insight of what it's like to grow up non-white in the UK with everything 
that goes with that. You may remember one of our elders, Simon Lau, from a Chinese background, shared something of that a few months ago when we were meeting physically. You see, isn't ignorance the seedbed of racism? Isn't that where all prejudice grows, where we talk about them, they are like that, because we don't understand them. Well, let's do something about that. Let's talk to one another. And I think as we develop understanding and empathy, as we listen to one another, so profound changes can happen. It does, of course, mean that brothers and sisters, and particularly if you're at Beck, if you're from a black, Asian, minority, ethnicity background, we would ask you, would you be willing to share so that we can gain some understanding of what it's been like for you growing up in UK society? So firstly, let's begin conversations. Secondly, let's build bridges. The enemy loves to sow division. He loves to build walls. Well, let's counter that. Let's build bridges. And I think in this, it's incumbent on us to avoid simplistic scapegoating. The issues in this area are complex. Race relations, ethnic experience, inequality are very complex issues and certainly no one institution or ethnic group is to blame. And I think sometimes blaming them, whoever they may be, may increase divisions. Now, there are issues to sort in some of our institutions. We've heard of institutional racism in the police in the UK. Now, I don't know to what extent that is an issue, but we understand it's there and in other institutions and workplaces as well. And there is then systemic racism in the UK. But let's remember whose sin was on the scapegoat when it was led out into the wilderness in the Old Testament. Well, it was the sin of all the people. You see, prejudice is in all our hearts. Because of that, we're called, as Micah says, to love mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly before our God. None of us can really point the finger when it comes to these things. And then finally, let's act. I think there's a sense we should respond as a local church. Certainly as the pastor of Beck, it does feel to me like there is something to be done. Perhaps we do it in conjunction with the other churches, Revive. But first, let's reflect. Let's pray. Let's talk. Let's deepen our understanding. Let's be gracious with one another. Let's be courageous. Let's step into this space. The church is undoubtedly to be part of the solution. In that way, hopefully there'll be more than just words, just signalling what we're passionate about without doing anything. And certainly my heart is that our actions are long-lasting. They're probably grassroots, rooted in communities as men and women, families interact in streets and communities together and build harmony across all sorts of divides, but certainly ethnicity. 
And as hopefully in that way, we see the kingdom come and God turning up to heal. Amen. So thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, just to say, this is very much the start of our response to everything we see going on around us and uh, the start of a journey. And certainly if there's anything I've said there uh, that you're not sure about, or maybe even you feel is, is, is some way causing offence, then uh, can I ask you to be patient with me? Um, we're all learning in this. And uh, do come back to me and just check out that you've heard um, what I have said and not what I haven't, etc. So appreciate that. I want to introduce to you now uh, a young woman, uh, Abby Shatade. Abby is a member of Beck, and uh, we uh, have a lot of respect for Abby. Uh, just over 18 months ago, Abby lost her husband, Elijah, a precious man, and uh, her faith has just been an inspiration to us at the church. But I've asked Abby to come and just briefly perhaps share now and then pray for us as a church out of her experience as a, a black woman growing up in um, London and then Southern Ireland. And uh, so Abby's going to come and share and like I say, pray. And then Adam's going to finish the service in worship. So Abby, it's great to have you. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Um, yeah, so today I've just come to you to share a little word, share a little bit about my experiences um, as a black woman growing up in the UK and in Southern Ireland. Obviously, we're referencing about what's happening in society at the moment, the revolution, if we call it that, where um, so many things have happened, whether it's in America, um, in regards to violence and um, to black people. And now we're having those open conversations about racism. And, you know, we may think that, okay, because we're in the UK, it doesn't specifically apply to us or things are different for us here. But, you know, it may look different or feel different, but there are issues that we need to face. There are things that we need to talk about as a church, as a society, and things that we need to sit down and talk about with our friends um, and even just understand the experiences that they've been through. And I understand that, you know, as a white person, you may not be able to fully understand the journey that a black person may have been through growing up in in the Western world. However, what we can do is empathize, sympathize, love, and um, share those experiences and also work together to do something different. So it's great that we're all working together as a church and we're all, you know, we all believe that, you know, we're standing for what is wrong and what is right. And I implore us to continue to do so. So it's not a today issue. It's not something that's going to blow over by next week or next month. It is, it's been years coming and it's also going to be years for things to be better, to be rectified. But you know what? We can start this today. Let's have these open conversations. Let's talk, let's sit down and let's do something about it because 
If we start it today, we're laying a foundation for the future. We're laying a foundation for our children, our children's children. What are we teaching them today? What are they learning? What are, they, what are the different views that they're building within their hearts? So let's start that today. Let's build the bridges. It may, not, it may be that we don't finish the work, but our children will pick it up and their children will pick it up. So I implore us to do that and also... Just be in a place of, of, of action, action as well. So just be in a place of action as well. Make sure that as we have these conversations and try to build these bridges, that we actually do something. There's nothing worse than having a conversation and nothing comes out of it. So let's do something. Let's, you know, be something. Let's, let's, Let's create, let's do things, let's hold each other's hands, let's walk forward, let's create art, music as a body, let's be unified as one. So um, that's, that's what I would just like to say on that part. And I would just like to pray for us. I'd like to pray for the church as a whole. I'd like to also pray for rugby, I'd like to pray for our nation, and I'd like to pray for society. So I'm going to use a scripture to pray. Um, and the scripture is in First John 4 and verse 12. And I'll read it to you. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. None of us have seen God, but God has required us to love. And in that love, we see his fullness. So I implore us to love. In our town of rugby, we, I just pray, Father God, that you just teach us how to love one another, that you teach us how to fully love one another. We may think that we know how to love, but Lord, we just open our hearts to you and pray that you teach us how to love. Teach us how to love within church. Teach us how to love each other. Teach us how to love so much that it overflows into our society, into our towns, into our schools, into our workplaces. Teach us how to love, Father. And I just pray, Father God, that as we do this, that you will see it and you will begin a healing work in our land, Lord Almighty. That you begin a healing work in our lands, Lord Almighty. And that you, you will just help us on this journey to reconciliation or whatever it is you want to call it, Lord Almighty. But we pray that you help us on this journey. And we know that we cannot do it alone, but we can only do it with you. So we thank you in advance and, and we thank you for the new things that you're going to be doing. We are, we are so thankful that you are allowing change to come. We're so sad, Father Lord, that it's had to come by the shedding of blood, Father Lord. It's had to come by years of oppression and years of racism and years of, you know, different things that people have experienced. But Father, I know that change will come and I pray that you guide us through that journey, Lord Almighty. And I pray that you teach us the right steps to take, the right words to say, the right actions to take. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.